It's good to be with you this morning. It's good to open God's Word together. So why don't you take your Bibles and open up to the book of Proverbs. You can go right to the very beginning of the book. And if you don't have a Bible, the rush is going to walk towards the front here, and they're going to turn and walk towards the back. Just slip your hand up in the air. We'll make sure a Bible gets into your hand. And if you don't own a Bible, then this is our gift to you today. Just take this home with you. And uh, we would love for you to have a copy of God's Word to read it. And uh, we believe, as I just prayed, that God moves powerfully through His Word. And uh, these are Spirit-inspired words that God loves to bring to our hearts and to change us by them. So I encourage you, open your Bibles to Proverbs. If you don't know where that is, just grab your Bible, split it right down the middle. You have Psalms, one of the largest books in the Bible, followed right after that is the book of Proverbs. And we're going to be spending a little bit of time in the book of Proverbs this morning And as you're getting kind of situated there, let me ask you a a quick question, maybe to get your heart moving the right direction this morning. Have you ever been asked to do something that you feel entirely, I mean entirely inadequate to do? I remember when I was uh, 20 years old, um, I was hired, I I interviewed for a position at a fairly large company. I, I interviewed for a certain position only to find out that they had decided to give me a different position. They hired me as a junior accountant and I remember accepting the position thinking, what in the world am I doing? I remember the first day sitting at my desk and being kind of given my tasks for the day to start working on and I can vividly remember sitting there sweating because I had no experience at all in the realm of accounting, I had no training, and I really, 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 I honestly mean this, I had no clue what I was doing, not a clue. I was given the job, but I felt entirely inadequate for the role and uh, I think parenting sometimes feels like that, doesn't it? You're handed this little human being and you're basically told, hey, go for it. Give it a shot. Parenting is a daunting, daunting task. And as we saw last week, it has massive ramifications. Last week, we we saw some various specific things as we talked about parenting. Let me just refresh your memory. We saw that the primary goal in parenting is discipleship and your greatest opportunity with your children is discipline. And if you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to go back. We're kind of building on those concepts from last week. And again, if you weren't here last week and you're kind of tuning out because your children are grown or you don't have children, maybe you're single, I want to encourage you. This message is just as much for you as it is for the parents in this room without kids. The principles that we find here in God's Word specifically apply. We're going to drive them towards parenting, but they apply in every realm of Christian discipleship. So they matter immensely for you. So don't zone out, don't tune out. God wants to speak to you through his word this morning. And this week, this week, I want us to look at three requirements for biblical parenting. And the first is this, your major responsibility is direction. If you're a parent in this room, you are called by God not only to disciple your kids and not only to discipline your kids, but kind of funneling out of those and certainly overlapping with those things, you are called to be one of the primary sources of direction in your children's lives, to guide them and to help them navigate the contours of life. I wanted us to look specifically this morning at the book of Proverbs, and just so you know, as we look at these three commitments for biblical parenting, we're going to spend the bulk of our time on this first point, and the other two are going to go fairly quickly, and I think you'll be able to see why. There's so much to look at in the book of Proverbs. 
If you don't know anything about the book of Proverbs, you need to know this. It's a, what's called a wisdom book. In other words, it's chocked full of godly principles for wise living. Now, these are not promises, contrary to what many people believe. These are general axioms. They generally work out to be true in our lives. And so we can trust that if we are implementing these things in our lives and hopefully passing them on to the lives of our children, that they will reap great benefits and rewards. You should also know this, that Proverbs is essentially a manual for parenting. It's a textbook for parenting, for teaching our children the kind of practical wisdom that will lead them to a healthy and fruitful life. There is a constant call from the parent to the child throughout the book of Proverbs that makes this abundantly clear. And we've, most of these Proverbs were written by Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. You remember the story that, that he asked God for wisdom to be able to discern uh, between the people of Israel, and God blessed him, and he called him the greatest man who ever lived in terms of his wisdom. And I want us just to look at a, a few texts here. So look with me. We're going to be flipping around a little bit. I want to show you how specific this is uh, from a parent to a child. Look at beginning in chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. Listen. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom and his mouth, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Chapter 4, verse 1. Hear, O sons of father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. Chapter 4, verse 10. Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. Chapter 4, verse 20. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life for those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Chapter 5, verse 1. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. Chapter 6, verse 20. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Chapter 7, verse 1, my son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teachings as the apple of your eye. We could go on and on, but I think you see the point I want the scriptures to build for you a case of the importance of this book when it comes to your parenting. I want you to see that this really is a parent speaking to a child about how to navigate through life. Certainly, the all of scriptures is a manual for helping us navigate life, but very specifically, the book of Proverbs gleans or gives to us wisdom that we can glean from it and apply very specifically to so many areas of life. I want to set the stage as you hopefully you see the importance of, of 
giving direction to your children and building these biblical principles into their life, but that there is, listen, a massive chasm between knowing wisdom and practicing wisdom. There is an incredible chasm between these two realities. And by the way, Solomon is the greatest example of what that looks like, that chasm that can exist. The wisest man who ever lived failed miserably and alienated his son in incredible ways and taught him by way of example how not to live out the very things he knew would give life. It does no good to teach our children sound wisdom and then live a life that contradicts what we are teaching. And if you don't have children, listen, it does no good to teach anybody right, wisdom and then live in a way that contradicts what we say we believe. In fact, there may be no greater way of provoking your children, of helping your children to despise and reject the wisdom of the Lord than living in hypocrisy. The price of parental hypocrisy is unbearably high. Not provoking your children is actually a command, and and I kind of left this hanging last week, so if you're sitting there saying, well, what about that last part of Ephesians 6 verse 4? Let's just put it back on the screen so you just remember where we were last week. Ephesians 6 verse 4, right up there. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And we spent so much time last week looking about the, the discipline and the instruction of the Lord, and we kind of kind of landed on this place where we didn't get a chance to deal with what it means to provoke our children to anger. And so I want to address this briefly, since it can actually be one of the greatest obstacles to leading our children in wisdom to guiding them along the paths of life, to giving them the direction that they so desperately need. If we are those who provoke our children, they will not listen to our direction. They will not heed our guidance. So let's just consider Paul's words for a minute. You can keep the the, the verse up there for a moment. Now remember, Paul is writing to a culture where the father had absolute authority and control and where children were often abused and unloved. In many ways, there's a parallel in our culture to how children were treated and, and really in many ways disrespected. The call for the Apostle Paul is to not provoke our children to anger. And some translations say, don't exasperate them. Don't do things that will drive them to anger, to despair, and to resentment. And there is in mind here a repeated pattern of parental behavior that builds over time and begins to simmer under the surface in the child's heart and eventually begins to manifest itself in anger and discouragement and frustration and And I want to just suggest that most of this happens in parenting unintentionally. It's not usually our objective to frustrate our children and to provoke them to anger. It often happens simply and subtly over time, very unintentionally. Parents can often place too many restrictions on their children. Maybe maybe you, as a parent, haven't adjusted your guidance and rules to suit your child's age and maturity. There are many ways, listen, there are many ways to provoke our children to anger. I just want to give you a few. In fact, I think i got seven here that I just want to give you quickly. Just a few. Uh, (laughs) But I think they might help you think about some ways in which you might be guilty of provoking your children. The first is this, overprotection. If you want to provoke your children to anger, simply be an overprotective parent. 
Restrict them in every way possible. Don't trust them at all, especially as they grow in age and maturity. Don't allow them opportunities to develop independence. Keep them under stern control all the time. I think we see this in our culture in many ways, and you know, we've all seen those parents, you know those hover parents? They're constantly on their children, constantly making sure that nothing bad is happening, nothing negative is influencing them. And, and I just want to let you know, there is a, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit, we need to be protective of our kids for sure, but listen, listen, there is a fear-based parenting out there that's happening all around us and in some of your homes right now. You're driven by fear, and, and it's going to, listen, it will end up frustrating your children, and it will cause them to rebel against you. Here's another way we can provoke our children to anger, show favoritism. Right? Just show favoritism. Always, always treat your children like they're not living up to the standards of one of the other children. Why can't you be more like your brother Johnny? Johnny always does it right and you can never do anything right. Oh, Johnny, come here. We love you so much. You know, we just love you. Just stay over there a little. We're not, we're not talking to you right now. We, we laugh. Listen, but this happens suddenly in homes. And kids pick up on these little cues, and kids begin to feel sometimes as if they're not as important or valued as some of the other members of the family. And I want to encourage you, beware of favoritism. That will provoke your children to anger. Here's the third thing. Uh, give them unrealistic expectations. Give them unrealistic expectations. Make unreasonable demands. One of the most common ways of provoking our children is through unrealistic rules in our homes or excessive discipline in our homes. Set the bar so high that your children can never meet it. So that you're always down on them and never encouraging them. You're never celebrating the victories because it's impossible for them to actually get a victory. You got an A minus? What happened? I've seen it. Here's the fourth thing. Um, just be overindulgent with your kids. Here's the other end of the spectrum. We got this overly strict form of parenting, but over here we got this very loose and liberal form of parenting. Just be overindulgent with your kids. And never say no. Give them the world on a platter. Always give them what they ask for. Never give them rules or structure. And I just need, you need to hear this. Children thrive off of structure. They need to know they're not in control, that they're not the authority. They need to understand that there are ways of doing things that are going to benefit them. And if we are overindulgent with our kids, you know what it breeds in their hearts? A selfishness, a self-entitlement. And believe me, when you do say no, it will be chaos. Here's the fifth thing, just show them neglect. And this is fairly simple. I'm not going to elaborate much on this, but just neglect your children. Focus more on your own life, your own hobbies, the things that interest you, and just show no interest in them and their lives. Here's the sixth thing. Give them tons of criticism. Just be critical all the time. Critique, critique, critique. You're never good enough. Why are you like this? Why can't you be better? This is another obvious one, kind of flows of this, but abuse them. Abuse them verbally, abuse them mentally, abuse them physically. Certainly that's going to be problematic. And let me give you the last one, and it kind of comes back full circle. It's the most important one, spiritual hypocrisy. Spiritual hypocrisy. Just, just lead them and live with them with the do as I say, not as I do principle, and see how that works out. Beat your kids up with the Bible. 
How many of you maybe experienced that in your own home? Listen, the Scriptures are a treasure, not a club. Do not use the Scriptures to beat up your children. If you beat up your children with God's Word, they will shrink from it when they are young, and they will flee from it when they live independently. All right, there's some ways in which we can provoke our children to anger, and again, there's so many more we can add to that, but I hope that maybe gets your mind thinking about your own parenting and the way you're raising kids. The world teaches us to focus our parenting oftentimes on trivial things. And part of the series is intended to help contrast what the Bible says with what the world says. And there's many uh, books out there that you can read about parenting, and there's many how-to, step-by-step, and here's how you can have a, a relationship with your son or your daughter. You know, the, the world tells us to go places with your kids and to teach them, especially your boys, about sports and about guy things, to show affection to our daughters and to compliment the way they look and to build up their self-esteem. And listen, these things, some of these things are good and they're not necessarily wrong, some of them. They're fine, but listen, on their own, they're superficial and shallow. If you focus your time and your energy there, you'll raise shallow children who set their affections on trivial things. Focus your energies on teaching profound things, deep things, biblical things, and you'll raise children of profound character who love wisdom, who cherish wisdom, who long for wisdom, and you must begin with this basic principle. Parents, you must recognize that your children are little sinners, right? Can I get an amen, right? All you got to do is have a child for like, like six months, and you're like, wow, the sin nature is real. It's amazing to see the sin nature in our kids. And yet, let me, just, let me just address this for a minute because I think so many parents fail to understand this about their own children. They believe that their, their children are innocent or that they're somehow born good or they live like that, that somehow their children are born good. We need to understand this about ourselves. The Bible teaches us that the drive to sin is embedded in our very natures. And if you want to guarantee problems with your child, allow them to give unrestrained expression to these evil desires. Start here at this level. Recognize that sin is within them. And by God's grace, He has put you in their life to give them wisdom. And wisdom, listen, helps restrain the evil desires of our children by teaching them how to navigate life with God's truth. Wisdom teaches our children to develop deep convictions and to inform their consciences so that when they are approaching, uh, being approached with temptation or they're being pulled off the right path, the inside, because of what you've poured into them through the Word of God, all of a sudden their consciences are warning them and saying, whoa, whoa, this isn't okay. I need to back away. This isn't right. What I've just done is wrong. You need to build biblical principles into their lives that will safeguard them from evil and sin and encourage them towards righteousness and obedience. Wisdom is the theme of the book of Proverbs. Oftentimes, as you read through the book of Proverbs, you come across words like instruction and understanding and discretion, and and these are not necessarily synonyms. They're actually subsets of what wisdom is and the forms that it takes. True wisdom, if you want a definition, is the right application of knowledge. True wisdom is the right application of knowledge. It's not simply head knowledge, but life application. It's about what we know and what we do or don't do. In fact, look with me at Proverbs verse, chapter 10, excuse me. 
This is emphasized in so many different ways, the idea of not simply knowing but doing. Look at Proverbs 10, verse 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. That's a great verse. Some of you might want to memorize that quickly. Proverbs 11, verse 19. Listen to this one. Whoever is steadfast in righteousness will live, but he who pursues evil will die. Just notice that connection between righteousness, between wisdom, and the way we act and behave. Look at Proverbs 11, excuse me, chapter 12, verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. He heeds it, he pays attention to it. One more, Proverbs 14, verse 16. One who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. Action is always included in true biblical wisdom. Our conduct is absolutely crucial. When all is said and done, what is done is as vital to true wisdom as what is said. Wisdom points our kids in the direction of righteous living. And I said last week, I want to just address something I said. I said last week that our primary need is not to shelter our children, but to shepherd our children. And I understand, listen, that there is a fine line between the two sometimes. Especially when our children are young, as I mentioned we want to make sure that we're protecting our kids and we're preventing them from seeing and being exposed to certain things that they have no business being exposed to. And that's important, especially when our kids are really, really young. But I want to encourage you as you're thinking through this, there's so much wisdom required in parenting. It's so challenging to make sure we're doing what's right. And we need so much grace because so often, if we're honest with ourselves, we make so many mistakes. I just want to encourage you, there are some parents who retreat into isolation with their kids, and I want to just remind you that building a cocoon around your kids to isolate them from bad influences is not the answer. There is some insulation that is absolutely necessary. It is reckless parenting, hear me say this, reckless parenting to let your kids be on the internet, for example, unsupervised, especially at young ages. I cannot believe how often I am hearing of kids who are just all over the internet, all by themselves, without any kind of filters, without any kind of supervision. And and parents, you need to hear me. That is a recipe for disaster. That is a recipe for destruction for the hearts and minds of your kids. There are things that kids are... I listened to something this past week that talked about uh, pornography companies who are beginning to target their pornography at kids under the age of 18 with the hopes of getting them hooked early and young so that it is a lifelong problem. Parents, be aware. Be wise. Now, the answer isn't to throw out the internet, right? You can't do that, and your children are going to be exposed to the internet at some point in your life. The issue is this. How do we help them navigate through some of the things that they're going to bump up against in life? How do we allow them to process what they are doing and what they need to avoid and be aware of? Our goal is not to raise naive children who are gullible and vulnerable. They're the easiest targets. Naive children, listen, are the easiest targets for temptation and sin. 
Satan, I think, loves to find the naive and those who have no clue. They're kind of flighty. They're so easily pulled away. Listen to what Proverbs 1 verse 22 says about the naive. How long, O simple ones, that's the naive ones, will you love being simple? Verse 32 adds to this, for the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. Proverbs 7, verse 7 says, And I have seen among the simple, and I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense. And if you read the rest of that chapter, it talks about the devastating path of sexual seduction and how a young man can ruin his entire life. We don't want to raise our kids in this bubble where they're naive to the temptations of the world and the the battle for their soul and the battle for their mind. We want to be parents who rightly inform our children, walking alongside them. That's the point of Proverbs. The entire point of the book of Proverbs is to make wise the simple. It is to lead us out of ignorance and to be informed with truth so that we can live lives of wisdom, obedience, and righteousness. Your children need to know the realities about sin and evil and the subtleties of temptation. It is our responsibility as parents to pour this into our kids. Now, the book of Proverbs gives us so much to think about. Let me just give you just really quickly, just this more just going to be bullet points, just kind of fire these out at you. Just think about this. The Bible, or the book of Proverbs teaches us about biblical work ethic. It contrasts and compares the, the, the sluggard and the ant. It talks about receiving counsel. There is wisdom in a multitude of counselors, Proverbs says. It talks about biblical friendships and how to pursue biblical friendships. It talks about how uh, just as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. It tells us how to guard our speech. It speaks to guarding our heart, for from our heart flows the wellsprings of life. It talks to us about the discipline of the Lord, Proverbs chapter 3. We looked at that last week. It talks to us about trusting the Lord, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It tells us about the dangers of sexual sin, multiple chapters in here, devoted to that very issue. It talks to us about the nature and seduction of temptation. It talks to us about fleeing from sin. It gives us instruction about parenting. It gives us instruction about marriage. It even gives a whole chapter about what to look like in a, for, in a spouse, Proverbs chapter 31, and what to be if you're a godly woman pursuing character and integrity. I mean, this is just a paintbrush, just to swipe across all that Proverbs has for us. But I want us to just focus on one thing before we move on to our second point. I want us to look at one specific thing. Here is where wisdom begins. Look at chapter 1. And I just simply want to read the first seven verses. So follow along with me. It says this, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and the riddles. Here it is right here. Here's the whole point. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction.
It doesn't get much clearer than that. In fact, he reiterates this thesis in chapter 9, verse 10. I'll just read it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Remember, our objective isn't to just simply make our children moral. It isn't simply to make them children who behave well. Our point is to direct their gaze to God and specifically to fear God. That is the beginning of wisdom according to the book of Proverbs itself. What does the fear of the Lord mean? So often in our minds, we have this picture of being in utter terror of God, constantly looking over our shoulder, fearing that somehow God is going to reach out of the sky and smite us. One of the most helpful illustrations of understanding the fear of God came when I was reading to my kids from the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And there's such a sweet, if you don't know anything about that series, just know this, there's an analogous relationship to God and Jesus Christ, and it's intending to paint for us spiritual truths. And I love this one portion in the Scriptures that helps us understand the fear of the Lord. Aslan, the lion in this book, is intending to represent Jesus Christ. And at a very important point in the story, Susan, one of the children, asks Mr. Beaver this question, Aslan is a lion? The lion? The great lion? Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. He's the king, I tell you. He's the king, I tell you. That is the most important part of that quote, and that is the most important part of the scriptures. Jesus Christ is our king, and that is what wisdom teaches our children. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Our children will respond with wisdom when they learn to reverence the Lord as their king, when they understand that he is the supreme authority over all things and he is supreme authority over their lives, when they know that God is God and they are not, they will long for wisdom. That is the number one priority of every parent with their children. Help them see that God, that Christ is king. And contrast this, listen, the Bible does this wonderful thing to help us understand how important, maybe for some of you, I just want to just, real quick side note, because I'm looking across here and I'm just, you're thinking this really just mainly pertains to your kids, but listen, this pertains to you and I as much as to our children. Do you believe that this morning? Listen, our wisdom, living in wisdom, in obedience and righteousness, has everything to do with how much we fear and we reverence the Lord. Wondering why maybe you struggle with obedience? You wonder why there's no desire to obey God or to live righteously? Listen, start right here. Do you reverence God? Do you truly understand who He is? And do you understand that you owe Him your absolute, total, unequivocal allegiance? You contrast the wise man with the fool in Scripture, and the best definition of a fool is found in Proverbs 14.1. It's on the screen, I believe, behind me. Proverbs 14.1 says this to the choir master of David, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. That's what a fool does. Fool says there is no God. 
Contrast that the wise person says, there is a God and this God is worthy of my submission. He is king and Lord. I must bow before him. The fool says, what are you talking about? There's no God. I don't know any God my allegiance because I am God. I live for me. I am autonomous and independent. I'm a law unto myself. There is no consideration in life more profound than what will please me. That's the way a fool lives. That's what a fool does. And we need to teach our children what wisdom looks like and what a fool looks like. This is what we are praying to avoid, this picture of a fool. This is what we are praying to avoid and what we are battling against in their little hearts and ours. That we might not live like a fool as if there is no God. And every person at the moment of sin, you know this, lives like a fool? You know that about yourself? Every person at the moment of sin lives as if there is no God. And we submit to the king. He's the king, I tell you. Giving direction to our kids is much richer than simply telling your child what to do and think. Parents, this requires that you invest your life into your child. It requires that you have open and honest conversations with them, helping them to understand themselves, helping them to understand God and the world around them and the meaning and purpose of life. And if I could just conclude this point by saying this, we need to show our kids that Jesus is wisdom. Jesus is wisdom. He doesn't just display wisdom, although that is absolutely true. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30 that He is wisdom. Notice these verses. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30 says, and because of Him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In Him, we receive the wisdom of the cross and all of its benefits. The wisdom of God is seen in its most perfect sense in the cross of Jesus Christ. He comes down from heaven. He is the truth of God because He is God Himself. He comes down with the truth of how we can have hope and reconciliation and redemption. He brings down the greatest wisdom of all, that man, though he be separated from God because of his sin, can be reconciled through the blood of the cross. There is no greater wisdom than that. That God made a way back to himself. And that is where we teach our kids. Most importantly, we spend more time there than anything else, parents. Listen, that Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. He is the only hope of salvation. We press this truth into their hearts. We inform their minds. We talk about it all the time. Ultimately, true wisdom comes from knowing Jesus. You, listen, you can, you can get the most moral, well-behaved, applying good principle children uh, that you can possibly have, but listen to me very carefully. It is utterly worthless and bankrupt if they don't know Jesus Christ. In fact, it is incredibly frustrating because without Jesus Christ, they don't have the power to truly live wise lives, and neither do you. This is not about just simply pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. This is about looking to Jesus. Look at Colossians 2, 3 on the screen there. In whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So, your major responsibility is direction. Secondly, your ultimate end is deployment. Turning your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3.
This is one of the most well-known sections of Scripture, mainly for what follows it. But I want to look at these verses. I think they're very helpful in thinking about what this means, that we are aiming to raise our kids, to release our kids. Notice what it says in verse 14 and 15 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. It says, but as for you, this is the Apostle Paul, he's writing to Timothy, this young, his young protege in the faith. He says, but as for you, continue, that's the word I want you to hear, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you, listen to this again, wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. I love that. That's so, so important. And here, I love this because the Apostle Paul is speaking to a grown man. He's speaking to a man, Timothy, who's likely between the age of 30 and 40. And what he's wanting to do as this man looks to continue his ministry, Timothy's a pastor. He's saying, you want to be effective and fruitful. Listen, you want to make sure you carry on well. You need to continue in what you have heard and what you have been taught and what you have received, what you have firmly believed. And look at this, knowing from whom you've learned it. The people who entrust truth to us are incredibly important, aren't they? I mean, can you think in your life right now, the, those who maybe in your life have been the most formative in your spiritual development. Maybe if you've grown up in the church, you can think back to a Sunday school teacher who invested so much into you, a youth group leader, or your parents who spent hours and hours of pouring the word of God into you and shepherding your heart. was emphasizing this idea of continuing. Proverbs 22, verse 6, one verse that many parents are familiar with on the screen behind me, says, train up your child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That is the hope of every parent. Our hope is that our children, through our instruction and the instruction of so many others, many of you involved in the instruction in children's lives, even right now, this very day, down the hall, people who are pouring into our children, instructing them in the Word of God. Listen, all of this is so that they might know Jesus now, listen, so that they might live for Jesus later. Under our roof, children have the protection and the provision of truth. Constantly, Lord willing, I trust this is true in your home, constantly flowing to them through godly discipleship, discipline, and the direction that you are pointing them in. But the end of parenting is deployment. This is something that has just really struck me uh, over the last couple of years. We raise our children to release our children. So many of us are focused solely on the here and now, and we're not looking down the road to who our children will become and what kind of impact they're going to make. What difference will they make for Jesus Christ? I want to encourage you parents, this is how far down we should be looking. When we're raising our kids now, we ought to be looking to the future. I know this sounds like we're in the military, right? The uh, ultimate end is deployment, but humor the analogy because I think it's really fitting. Listen, just like the military puts hours and hours into training soldiers, we put hours and hours into training our kids. The military prepares and deploys them with the hope of 
that their training will produce success on the mission. Listen, in the same way, we must realize, we must realize that the parent-child relationship is temporary. We are sending them out, hopefully, Lord willing, on a mission. Raising godly children means that we are teaching them about the greater mission of God. We're constantly talking about God's redemptive plan for humanity, not just for their souls, but for every human being, that God wants to seek and save the lost. We have such an incredible opportunity that God has given us as parents and as those, maybe even without kids, who still have the opportunity to pour into young lives. We get to participate not only in our child's salvation, but in their future usefulness to God. As Paul reaches back in the life of Timothy, he's reminding him of the hours and hours that were poured into him. And what he's saying by way of implication, listen to this, they were not a waste of time. Listen, parents, it is not a waste of time. Early on in, in our home, we tried to build this missions mindset into our church. I mean, it's a little bit easier when you're a pastor, right? Your kids know that your job is to go and preach the word, but we had to be very intentional. We still do in, in telling them what that means and what that looks like, what daddy does when he goes to work and what our heart is for the people of God, our heart for the lost. We talked often when our kids, especially when they were young, we still do constantly today, we talk about the lost. We pray for our neighbors. We talk about how we can engage with our neighbors. We talk about maybe kids at school and friends who don't know Jesus. Uh, we're constantly looking for opportunities at the park to talk with people who don't know Jesus. I just want you to know this. In, in our family, we're being very intentional about what it means to be mission-minded. And I remember, I remember early on in our kids' lives, they were beginning to get this, and they're asking questions about who knows God and who doesn't know God. I, I remember it so vividly, Karis at the age of three and four, constantly asking, anytime we would meet somebody, does that person know God? Does that person know God? And you see, this is, to, to us, this thrilled our hearts because what she wanted to know most, what she knew we cared about most about these people was whether or not they knew God. And I'll never forget it. Uh, we, we were, this is, you know, four years old. We're sitting in Target and, and my wife is in trying on some clothes. So we're sitting, you know, outside. You, know, you remember that place, Target? All the mothers, tear, we're sitting outside the dressing room while she's trying clothes on and there's a lineup of mainly ladies you know waiting to try on clothes and we're sitting there and, and Karis is sitting on my lap and she looks across this you know there must have been 10 people all with you know like right here and she says she says to me hey dad do these these people know God I said well maybe some of them do but but the chances are most of them probably don't and then as if she was holding a megaphone, she yelled out, why don't these people know God? <laughs> and then my face turned about the deepest shade of purple you can imagine. And I, I put my head down as everybody stared at us, wondering what in the world we were talking about. But she was stunned. She was stunned at how all of these people didn't know God. And listen, my prayer is that she continually is stunned. And listen, that your heart and mind is stunned by the amount of people around us who don't know God. And then we care deeply about them. And we tell our kids, our kids, listen, kids, we, we live, listen, not for ourselves. This world and this time we have here is not about us and our pleasure primarily. It's not about what we get out of this life. We live, the reason we exist is to make the glory of God known by proclaiming the person of Jesus Christ and salvation in his name. That's it. 
Who, who, did, who did Timothy learn this from? Who did Timothy understand all these rich spiritual truths? How did Timothy get this idea of salvation from the Scriptures? Well, Paul, for sure, there's no questioning that, but I want you just to flip back one page in your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. He says these words to Timothy. Paul says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Can you see the lineage that Paul is intentional on tracking here? Don't, parents, listen, parents, don't underestimate the impact you're making on the hearts and lives of your kids for Jesus Christ. Grandparents, can you see this here? His grandmother was formative in how he grew to understand and love the gospel of Jesus Christ. Parents, this is a generational thing. And if you're blessed to live in a Christian home with Christian parents and grandparents and great-grandparents, you ought to praise God for that. Not everybody here has that privilege. And if you're a grandparent here today, let me just speak very quickly to you. God has given you the great privilege. Listen, if you know Jesus Christ and you love Jesus Christ, God has given you one of the greatest privileges you can now have at the tail end of your life. And I say that in such love and grace, but I want you to use the rest of your life, listen, for Jesus Christ. Have an impact on your grandkids for Jesus Christ. Don't just spoil them to death. Don't just give them candy and send them home to their parents, right? Pour the gospel into them. Some of you as grandparents, your children aren't following the Lord. And you may be the only Jesus your grandkids are ever exposed to in the most formative years of their life. Don't take that lightly. God has placed you there specifically, intentionally, strategically. He's not making a mistake. He knows how much you love Jesus, and he knows how much of a difference you can make in that young life. Parents and grandparents, if you're both saved, can I encourage you, work together in this endeavor. Talk about this. Grandparents, don't just undercut uh, the parents' responsibility in this. Work together. Be a team. Make it known that this is your heart's desire. And if you're raising kids and maybe your grandkids, if they don't grow to love Jesus Christ at this point when you, at least before your very eyes, so what do I do then? You pray, 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 pray. You never give up. You never quit praying. Some of you in here have been praying for years and years and years and years for your children and for your grandchildren. And I just want to encourage you, don't give up. Persist in prayer. Keep on knocking and believe expectingly that God is going to open the door in his timing. Don't underestimate your influence. I cannot say this enough you can raise a Timothy. And parents, isn't this your greatest? I love one of my favorite verses in the New Testament, 3 John, verse 4. Look at this. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And I know John's talking about other believers here, and that's, that's also instruction for our hearts. But parents, let this be the cry of your heart. 
Let it be the desire of your heart to see your children knowing Jesus, walking in the truth. Make this your ultimate end, that you are sending out from your home children who love Christ and live to make him known to others. Don't make them think and understand that their prim- your primary goal in raising your children is how much money they make, what kind of profession they have, what kind of success or status, their athletic prowess or their academic achievements. Listen, those in the end matter very, very little. Make sure your kids know above all things your desire is that they walk in the truth of Jesus Christ. Lastly and very quickly, your supreme gift is devotion. Your supreme gift is devotion. Just a couple books before, turn to 1 Thessalonians. In chapter 2, The Apostle Paul often uses language in Scripture saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Let me be a model to you. Let me be an example to you. And I love 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Here Paul uses an analogy of a mother and father for how he cared for the believers in the church. And this should be so instructive for us as as we learn to love other believers, but it clearly, clearly should instruct us on how we are loving our kids Let's look at it together. He begins in verse 7. And he says this. He says, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother, taking care of her own children, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory." He appeals here to the Christians on the basis of his devotion to them and his devotion to God. I want you to see that. He says, you saw, you have witnessed our Christ-like devotion to you, and you've seen how devoted we were to God. And this is so important that your kids see, first of all, in verse 8, that you are devoted to them, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you become so dear to us. I mean, he's just saying, we gave you everything. We gave you the gospel because we loved you so much, and we poured our entire lives into you. We did not hold back any of ourselves for you. And parents, how sweet it would be if at the end of your parenting with your kids, they would look to you and they say that you poured not only the gospel of God into our hearts, you poured your very self into us. What a precious, precious privilege and responsibility that is. Speaking to someone this past week who told me about their uncle who started a major ministry back in the 50s, and it was incredibly successful. And while he was busy pouring his life into this ministry, his three sons grew up, and they grew to love and cherish their mother, but to absolutely despise their father. Not one of them is walking with the Lord. 
sacrifice his family on the altar of ministry. And I just want to encourage you as parents, don't lose what is greatest for something that is good. Be devoted to them by pouring the gospel into them and yourself into them. And that's going to take time, both quantity of time and quality of time. Be devoted to parenting them well. Verse 11, for you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Keep at it, parents. Keep going. Keep pressing on. Children are not a burden. They are a blessing from the Lord. May we raise them according to His Word. Verse 10, this, I believe, is the most critical verse here. He says, You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. And certainly, as Paul is talking about how they weren't burdening them with financial concerns, not initially at least in any way. And, but he draws attention to his character, to the holiness, to the purity of their lives as a testimony to them. Parents, show your children how much you love God by how much you love them and others. Be devoted to Christ by pursuing Him daily, by prioritizing Him above all other things in your life, by pleading with Him for your own personal purity and for the people's souls whom God has placed in your path. Be a parent who praises God before your kids in the good, the bad, and the ugly of life. Parents, listen, if your spiritual life is a burden, don't be surprised if your children grow to resent Christ and His bride, the church. But parents, here's the flip side of that. If your spiritual life, listen, if it is thriving and vibrant, if it is life-giving and life-sustaining, if it is filled with joy and sweetness, don't be surprised if when your children are growing up, they want so desperately what you have. Be a fragrant aroma of Christ. As a parent and as a follower of Christ, this is for all of us, the greatest gift we can give anyone is our sincere and pure devotion to Jesus Christ. It is only out of that that flows an impactful life. Do not allow your thoughts to be led astray from this supreme pursuit and this supreme gift that you can give to your children and to the world. Our effectiveness as parents and as Christians will only be as strong as our personal devotion to Jesus Christ. May we follow Him with all of our hearts completely surrendered. May our kids... And all those who look at us see that Jesus Christ is enough for us. Father, we pray that you would make this so. Father, we feel the, the weight of parenting, the responsibility, God, in a healthy way. But God, we, we want to acknowledge, Lord, that raising children is not a burden. It is such a tremendous blessing. God, to have the privilege to invest into these little lives, to pour not only the gospel of God into them, but to pour ourselves into them daily is a sweet privilege. And Father, we know that in doing this, Lord, we are made more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. God, the gospel teaches us that our Savior poured himself out for us, for our good, and for the glory of your great name. Lord, may we do the same as we raise our children and as we point others to Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would give us the grace and the strength to do this. May we make much of you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.